1: You say,
2: well, what do you mean I'm saved by faith? Well, were any of you there? Did you ever see him personally risen? No, you didn't see it, but you believe it. Just like they believed he would do it. But what happened after the cross that John the Baptist never got to experience? What happened? When you accepted Jesus Christ, who came to live in you? God. That never happened to the Old Testament people. So I have greater opportunities. I have greater privileges and I have greater responsibility.
0: Jesus talked about the greatness of John the Baptist and his role as a prophet. All of us look to and admire John the Baptist for his role as the messenger who announced the coming of Christ. And yet Jesus said that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How can that be? In today's message, Pastor Mark explains that while some in the Old Testament foresaw Jesus coming, there was one thing they never got to experience. God indwelling them. What a blessed time we're living in when we can be so blessed as to have God Himself take up residence within us by His Spirit. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark with his continuing study entitled, Opportunity Brings Accountability.
2: Where do you and I hear unrealistic things about God? We hear them because we have people that teach unbalanced things of God. Turn on your TV and you won't go far. And Christian TV and oh, you'll hear it. God wants you to have four beamers. Sick? You're sick? Oh, God will never ask you to ever be sick. He'll never allow that. If you have sickness and there's sin in your life. And God wants, well, He wants everything for you. I was watching something the other night. A guy says, you just send the seed check in. You send it in and your family's gonna get saved. Your life's gonna be pure. Everything that you've ever desired. The wildest imagination of your heart, God's gonna give you. I mean, everything's gonna be perfect. Man, I got my checkbook and said, right in. No, I didn't. Why? That's unrealistic. Does God heal everybody? Well, ultimately, You say, well, Pastor Mark, he healed Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. Yes, he did. Did Lazarus die again? Yes, he did. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely. What happens if God doesn't heal the way I think? I leave it to God. Because he knows all things best. You see, you and I will never figure God out. So the more I know the word of God, the more I know the character of God, and the less I fall for this... Well, whatever the latest trend will come, you name it, it'll come. Some unbalanced thing. And you know what happens? Let's say this. Let me give you an illustration. This positive confession jazz started. By the way, they're Christians. They're going to be in heaven. with well, this is just a little unbalanced. Sometimes we can learn from it. And I'll show you that in a second. I remember in my, in my dad's church way back in the 50s, I guess, maybe it was the 60s, a little boy, 12 years old, died. Well, these people had begun listening to this stuff, and they went to the hospital. They asked permission to go to the morgue. And they went to the morgue and prayed that God would raise this little 12-year-old from the dead. Well, it didn't happen. They went to the parents and said, the reason it doesn't happen is because you don't have enough faith. Now, I want to tell you, that's a disaster. And you know what happens when you have those kind of things? Many people never return to the church again. Who do they blame? Well, not the people whose doctrine screwed up. They blame God. So don't have these unrealistic expectations of God. Now, when things aren't going right, what can I expect God to do? What do I know about the character of God? Take a look at these scriptures. We'll go through them very quickly. I know this is true because it's written in the word of God. It's balanced. I know that Jeremiah 29 says, I have the plans for you. Notice the plans that are prosper you, give you hope and a future. God isn't against you. He's for you. But sometimes he uses these things that don't get solved to grow me and to mature me and to make me more like him. There's no other way. I also know in Romans 8.28, when I look back on my life now, Romans 8.28, basically, there's Balmer's translation. When you get to the end, everything that God's allowed in your life That you didn't screw up. But if I go right out now and have an affair or steal or rob a bank, I mean, God is in control of that. I blew that. And is good stuff going to happen to me? (laughs) No. But sometimes bad stuff happens to me because God allows it. But you know what? When I finish life and I look back over my life, it was all good. It worked out for the better. By the way, did Jesus, can Jesus understand this verse? Did bad things happen to Jesus? Hello, we have a cross. But if you look back on it, it ended up right. Now, in expectation, I don't want you to expect things too low. Because sometimes we don't, we don't expect God to do anything then. Well, Pastor Mark, you're saying expectations, I got to be very careful. Yeah, you do, but here's what you can expect. Look at this next verse. Ephesians 3.20, you know it. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or expect because God lives in us. So I know that I can limit what God wants to do and that's kind of where the faith thing comes That's where the prosperity thing comes and I think there's some truth to that, but you have to certainly balance it You see God wants to prosper me Not for me, but to advance the kingdom of God Can you imagine me taking this this prosperity gospel that we hear that God wants you rich and have money and four cars in your car In your garage. Can you imagine me remember the little village church? I was at in India Can you imagine me preaching that stuff there? Those people are going to go, say what? I'd like a little meat twice this week. That's as big as they can get. Understand, we live in a funky world. So here's what I want you to write down this morning. Trust God to do the right thing. By the way, he always does. You trust him to do the right thing, and then expect, expect good stuff. That his overall plans will always exceed your expectations. I look back at my life, I cannot believe what God's done. Through the pharmacy years, through bringing me my wife, and our kids, and our grandkids, and just all the stuff. You said, well, Pastor Mark, look at some of the stuff that happened. You open-heart surgery. And I, yeah, it's okay. I expected God to do something a little different. You know, when the elders prayed for me in the night before I had my open-heart surgery, I expected to just get out of that bed and go. Next morning, I was on the table. I've learned a lot from it. I'm still here. By the way, God did heal me just through surgery. I'm still here today. You think about that. He wants to do more than you and I can ever imagine. Now, as you look at all that, we have to kind of say in our heart, well, is God stretching me today? Well, if your expectations are kind of outside of this, yes, he probably is. Just trust him. Even though it's not going the way you think, just trust him. He will do the right thing. He'll do the right thing. You leave the details to him. He'll do it, I guarantee you. Now, John the Baptist spent his life introducing Jesus. Jesus is going to turn around and do the same thing. He's going to introduce John the Baptist. Now, why would he have to do introduce John the Baptist? Because these people who had been following John the Baptist are sitting here. And John kept saying this early in his ministry. Here's the Messiah. He's the one. He's coming. Follow him. And the next question here from John the Baptist is is this the one? You sure he's the one? So Jesus is going to say no John was right. John was right. John wasn't this fink. He wasn't this guy that just vacillated back and forth. So he's going to introduce him. Let's take a look at it verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. So Jesus just says to the crowd, Well, John the Baptist wasn't this fickle man. He has a little lapse of faith right now. But this was a man who had the opportunity to introduce me. He did a great job. He lived this austere life and he told the truth no matter what. In fact, he told the truth so much... Straightforward that he's in jail this morning. Remember this some of you were raised with cattails and the wind would blow and they'd go like this, and the wind would blow and go like this. But that's not at all what John was. He wasn't this fickle guy. By the way, if if Jesus would introduce you this morning, what would he say about you? What words would he use? What what characteristic would he say? To you? Would he say, well, this week I'm this way, and this week I'm that way? Or would he say to you, here's a guy, here's a gal that goes for it. They're gifted by God. They know the gifts. They, they take it serious. They're going for it. That's what he's doing with John. Look at verse 9. Then what did you go out to see? In other words, why did you go out in the desert to see this guy that has locust feet hanging out of his mouth and eating honey? Why did you go see this wild man in the desert? Why? Did you go out to see because he was a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. So Jesus takes them again to the Old Testament. And he takes them to this Italian parable called Malachi. No, it's Malachi. It's Malachi one. That's in case you were Italian this morning. That was for you. Maybe you missed it. <laughs> Malachi is the last book in the Bible. What does it say? It says this, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Jesus says, That's who John the Baptist was. That's exactly who he was. And then he says, Verse 11, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, why would that be? Why would John the Baptist, up to this point, be greater than anyone ever? really born obviously other than Jesus because of this if you look at Moses and you and you look at David and you look at Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the Old Testament prophets they talked about the coming of Jesus they believed in it but there was only one human ever who was the forerunner of Jesus who personally said and baptized him this is the Messiah so that was the role of John the Baptist so in those terms, John the Baptist was greater. But then he has something to say to you and I. Look look at the last part of this verse. It's very powerful. In verse 11. And yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, you and I have greater opportunities, we have greater responsibilities, and we have greater blessings than John the Baptist ever had. Why? In the Old Testament, and even John, they looked forward by faith, follow me, by faith, Abraham and all the Old Testament people, they look forward to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. They're looking forward to when that would happen in a period of time. They never got to see it. They just believed by faith and they were saved by faith. Well, here you and I are. We're after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's already taken place. So the Old Testament people look forward to the cross. What do we do? We look back on what happened. See, it's already happened. In the Old Testament, they were saved by faith. We're saved by faith. By the way, you say, well, what do you mean I'm saved by faith? Well, were any of you there? Did you ever see him personally risen? No, you didn't see it, but you believe it. Just like they believed he would do it. But what happened after the cross that John the Baptist never got to experience? What happened? When you accepted Jesus Christ, who came to live in you? God. That never happened to the Old Testament people. So I have greater opportunities, I have greater privileges, and I have greater responsibility. That's why I'm greater. You have God. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living in you. Unbelievable. Ministering to you, challenging you, growing you, and comforting you. Never happened. In the Old Testament, that's a wonderful privilege. Now, verse twelve is one that's kind of hard to understand. Watch it. From the time of John the Baptist till what? Till, till what? Now. now, when is now? Let's let's talk about it in the Greek language. When is now in the Greek language? Now, you know, you Greek scholar, did you? Now, when is today now? So, think about this. Is today now? So the principle that we're going to study in this little verse, very important, incredibly important verse. Will this principle apply to me now? It will. Let's see what it says. It's exciting. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. And to be careful, you can take that wrong. What does it mean? Well, there's actually two meanings and two applications. First, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. You see, beginning with John the Baptist, Satan was against anything that represented Christ and the church. There was a spiritual battle. So there's always intense spiritual warfare right now, this morning, trying to destroy the kingdom of God and his messengers. That was evident. John the Baptist was already in jail. What would happen to John the Baptist? What would forceful people do to John the Baptist? They'd kill him. And why would they kill him? For one thing, because he promoted who? Jesus Christ. Not a church, but the person of Jesus Christ. See, it's always about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, would the enemy, Satan, ever relinquish that battle? Never. On the cross, Jesus would die. why did he die? Because Satan was against him. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. 11 of those 12 disciples all died for the sake of Jesus. Today, across the world, people are still dying for the sake of Jesus. You're in spiritual warfare. And Jesus says, there's an incredible spiritual warfare against us. And we have to understand that opposition from Satan never, ever, ever ends. There's always this force against us through division and through sin and through all kinds of stuff. He'd love to destroy because of the impact. He'd love to do it. By the way, he's doing it in lots of places. In England today, hundreds of churches close every single year. They shut the doors out. There's no interest. Now... When we see this word Christianity and forcefully taking it, we have to be very careful. We have some people in the kingdom of God that think that means, well, we have to be physically forceful. That's not what Jesus is talking about. A few years ago on September 11th, we were reminded that there is a world religion that wants to take this world by force. You see, the Quran. If you go to the Quran, the Quran says you and I as Christians are infidels and we must be eliminated. It's true. Now, not every Muslim believes that by any means because they don't believe in it. They'll say they believe in the Quran, but they don't read it. They just like many people that you go and say, well, do you believe in the Bible? Oh, yeah, I believe in that. They don't have a thing to do with the Bible. So many Muslims don't believe that, but there is an element that is trying to destroy us and they will not stop until they've acquired Their goal of forcing everyone to worship Allah. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a physical force. So if I have this outside force against me, because I'm a Christian and against this church and anything, always have this force against me, what should I do? Well, that's the second part of this. First to remember, there's always spiritual warfare right here. The second part is simply this. To be a successful Christian, we must understand that every Christian understands this reality and get involved. Well, how do I get involved? If I'm not going to take a gun up and just try to kill everybody that's against me, how, how do I get involved? Keep your finger right there. Turn back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what I want you to write as you're turning there. Life is not a playground, but a battlefield. Why did Jesus say earlier, don't fall away because of me? How many people used to serve God, but they've fallen away? Hey, just there's no interest anymore. Used to believe in the Bible, read the Bible, taught the Bible. They're gone. They're not here. They're not around. What happened? They forgot there was a warfare. They didn't understand that there's a battle. By the way, If you're married, do you have to fight for your marriage? How long do you have to fight for your marriage? If you've been married 50 years, do you have to still fight for your marriage? Absolutely. You have to fight for your marriage until you die. Why? Because Satan's out against it. I always have to fight. It never stops. Ever. Now in 2 Timothy we read an incredible principle. Actually, in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, you got to fight the good fight. What do, you, what do you mean, fight the good fight? What does that mean? Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says this to Timothy. Endure, here's a word, those of you that are in the Marines, and all, hardship with us like a, circle these words in your body, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, I'm, I'm not a soldier of the United States Army or Navy, Marines, whatever. That's good. That's, that's wonderful. And we need to pray for them. But if you're a Christian, you're a soldier. This morning, you're a soldier in the army of God. Then he says this in verse 4. No one serving as a, a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer well, who is our commanding officer? It's not me, it's Jesus. So what does that mean? As a Christian, we're soldiers. Paul says, remember, we live in this world. So God isn't taking us out of this world. We're fighting the battle here. And and you and I... Well, we're going to raise our children. We're going to go to school. We're going to get educated. We're going to get advanced in jobs. We're going to have a house and an apartment and a car and a condo, and we're going to do all those things and enjoy lunch together and have a golf game once in a while or a sport or something. That's wonderful. All those things are good, but they can never be the primary thing. You see, if I get tangled up with all of this stuff, I'm going to lose the battle. Oh, the kids got a ball game. Something and got this over here and over here and they got tangled up. In the things of this world. So Paul says, Hey, we're soldiers. We're soldiers. Now, what does that mean? Well, opportunity brings accountability. You're a soldier. How are you doing in the battle? Some of you are doing terrific. Good job. You're fighting the good fight of faith. By the way, some of you say, I didn't know I was in an army or a soldier. Well, here's a statement I want you to write. It's going to take you a little time to write it, but I want you to write it. Advancing the kingdom, that's what an army does, advancing the kingdom requires, number one, fervency in prayer. The weapon we have is prayer. How's the church worldwide doing with this? Very poorly as a whole. And I speak to myself included. Why? Because it's not a big deal to us. Advancing the kingdom requires fervency and per- A bold faith. Determination. A bold faith. Some of you say, you mean I've got to be bold for Jesus Christ? Yes. <laughs> Some of you say, well, I'm in the secret service of Jesus. I'm an undercover agent. There are no undercover agents. Let me say something else. There are no part-time soldiers. There are no per diem Soldiers. There has to be a in prayer, bold faith, determination, and full reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Probably 60% of you are weary and you're failing. So many of us are, with all of our luggage, with everything, we're just walking by the side in our own strength. The majority of the church today is trying to live the Christian life in their own power. Impossible.
0: Sometimes we can all forget that opportunity brings accountability. To retain this perspective, we have to remember what the Christian life is and have a right perspective on it. Today, Pastor Mark challenged us to remember that life is a battlefield, not a playground. We've been given tremendous opportunity through Christ. How are you using it? To advance the kingdom, we need to be bold in faith and dependent on the Spirit of God. It's hard to imagine that any Christian could be indifferent to the things of God, especially about someone coming to Christ. In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share how indifference to God and His truth brings judgment. Opportunity as well brings judgment if we don't fulfill our responsibility to tell others of the truth we have benefited from. We are all called to be ambassadors. Tune in and be inspired to join the fight. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.
1: Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a herd